So, as you know, we started off in the Gospel of John at the beginning of the year, and we continue on week to week going as much as I can, verse by verse. Obviously, if I went one or two verses every Sunday, in about five years from now, when many of you are on your whatever third car, you know, uh, you would get to the end of this book. But uh, today, we are going to go back, and actually, no, back, we're going to pick back up with verse 9 of the fifth chapter um, and to set the, the stage for what I'd like for us to consider uh, this morning, um, I used to watch uh, America's Got Talent. I mean, not religiously or, or, or with any kind of faithfulness to it, but it was entertaining. And, and sometimes I disagreed with Simon, and that it, he's the guy that has always got kind of a negative comment for everybody. But if you watched it this week, and it has made national news, especially within Christian traditions... Ben, and I think he actually pronounced his name, last name Waite. It's spelled W-A-I-T-E-S. Ben Waite, uh, his testimony was he'd rather make an impression for the gospel than win any tournament. But he was on this stage, and here's a shot of Ben. The sad eyes Don't be discouraged It's hard to take courage In a world full of people You can lose sight of it all And the darkness inside you Makes you feel so small But I see your truth So Ben let his true colors uh, shine through in that song, obviously. A man who has, and I cannot pronounce the exact disease, it's arthrogryposis, something like that, that causes his joints either to be uh, so stiff they can never be used or perhaps no mobility whatsoever in those uh, from birth. But he has let his spirit soar, and in that 
performance there, he truly displayed his true colors, I believe. And in the text we have today, the Jews, seeing a man who has been healed from 38 years of being immobile, have uh, let their true colors shine through. Miraculously, if you remember last week, Jesus talks to this man who's been waiting to be drugged down into this pool of Bethesda for the healing waters, and he complains to Jesus that uh, no one is there to pick him up or carry him in, and others get ahead of him. And Jesus basically tells him to get up, pick up your mat, and go. And the Jews who saw that man, who had been unable to move for some 38 years, stopped to tell him, you're carrying your bedroll on Sunday or the Sabbath, and that's forbidden against the law of the day. Looking right past the healing, they let their true colors be displayed. Today we pick up on verse 9, and we see the true colors of Jesus and the colors of his critics. And I'd like for you to ask yourself as we read this text, what are our true colors and what do we allow to shine through us as we remember that Jesus loves us? So John 5, picking up, I'll give give you verse 8. Verse 8 is not in there, I don't think on there, but I'll start there and go to uh, verse uh, 18. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. So, because Jesus was doing these things, on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. Let's pray. Our Father, as we see throughout this Gospel of John, over and over, from the first chapter, John introducing your Son that the Word was with God and the Word was God. And here we see your Son revealing His power, His position, His majesty, and how it conflicted with the way people of that day approached who you are and how they should respond to you. So in this hour, as we consider the true colors of the faith, let our 
colors that we radiate always come from you. Not the hateful colors, the envious colors, the prejudice, the, the pain that perhaps we feel like others should have because we have experienced. Let us reflect the light of love and forgiveness, of mercy, of your son Jesus. This we pray in his name. Amen. You know, as I look at this passage this week, and it's one of those things, where do you stop? Because it, it all goes together. But there are so many things that can cause one to ponder. And here's just the, the first ones that I, as I'm looking at. The blindness of the religiously faithful. These people, the Jews who accused the man of breaking the Sabbath, were the religious leaders of the day. So I put it back on myself. How have I been blinded? How, how have I looked at others incorrectly? They saw a man of 38 years who had never been able to walk in those 38 years, and now he's walking, and they see past that, or, or maybe they're blind to that, and go to looking at the mat he's carrying. Another thing that causes me some consternation in here is Jesus tells this man to stop sinning, which, I mean, that's not new. But he goes on to say, because if you don't, something else worse may happen to you. Then there's the gullibility of the man. And I, I use that word versus the perhaps despicableness of the man. Who when the Jews finally ask him who did it and he knows who did it, he throws Jesus under the bus. Well, Jesus is the one who did it. Hmm. And how are we like that sometimes? And then Jesus, in this text, lets the world know that he and the Father are always at work. And so often we think we're the only ones doing the work. So because of his actions and his words, the religious people of the day seek to kill the Savior. So as I consider the first point, if somebody was in my office, I thought, how well did you read my sermon notes? Uh, Laura was in my office. She said, I'm colorblind. I'm like, first point, colorblind with tunnel vision. Some of you are truly physically colorblind. I, and I know the chief is on the back row, and that's why he didn't fly airplanes in the Air Force, because he's colorblind. And I always had a little problem with that. I mean, I'm not colorblind, I don't think. But show this next slide. Maybe that'll... Find out if some of you are. How many of you can see that number in there? Chief, can you truly see that one? You probably can. It's so big. No? Anybody see? Can Anybody cannot see a number in that circle. Okay? And it, I picked about the most faint one. And actually, I wrote a paper on this in Air War College, those of you who could care less to read it. Uh, how some Japanese doctor is the one who basically came up with the idea of the colorblind test and how he uses all these different pigments, different things to, you know, find how your eyes can see. That's the number six up there if you couldn't see that. So the next one, yeah, six, really? How about this next one? That's tunnel vision. Well, that's the way I see all the time. What's the problem? So... Some of you may have problems with blind color blindness or tunnel vision, but the Jews that saw this healed man were colorblind to the healing, and their tunnel vision obsessed on the fact that he was 
carrying his own bed. Now, I found a, um, like a, I'm not, I don't have it to show it to you, but I found like a 12th century painting of a man coming out of the pool. This was their, uh, you know, image of what had happened, and he's carrying like a brass bed on his back. Now, that I could understand. That, that's a little bit of a burden, but regardless, I would be rejoicing in the fact that guy could walk out of the water. But these Jews of the day were blind to the miraculous event and fixated on the mundane. Like a racehorse with blinders. I'm not implying I've ever been to the horse races, but I have. And they'll do that, yeah. They'll actually have little things that keep them so they can be focused. Those of you who ever, I'm not old enough. I didn't work on, I didn't grow up on a farm anyway, but if somebody ever had uh, workhorses, they might have blinders too, to keep them focused on what they needed to do. And sometimes we get focused on the wrong things. The Jews had 39 different types, categories of laws that you could break, especially on the Sabbath. And I think they come up with, out of those 39 categories, like 613 different types of laws. And this week I was reading some of them, and I shared some of them with Dan because I was just amazed that they were... Um, I guess that people didn't revolt. There was one, that the one that got me the most is, you cannot put your dentures in. They actually had dentures in Jesus' day. They were wooden or sometimes out of bone. But you couldn't use your dentures on Sunday because if they fell out, to put them back in was work. I don't know. You could not spit on the dirt. You could spit on a rock, but if you spit on the dirt, that might make mud, which might make mortar, or even be used for bricks, which could be work. Couldn't cut your hair. Now, I know for some of you, that's not a problem. Less and less of a problem for me. You could not, children, you love this, could not climb a tree on the Sabbath, because you might break one of the branches. Be more concerned about breaking an arm if you climb a tree. But what God had intended as a day of rest had become a speed trap for over-religious Barney Fifes of the day. I mean, they were setting up speed traps outside of the, you know, the temple. This guy's carrying his you know, bedroll. Let's go pull him over. Write him a ticket. You say, well, that's crazy. But pharisaical legalism still exists today in and out of the church. I stumbled across an article this week, and I don't truly know I remember it, but it's from Chicago. I'm, I'm native of Illinois. I know. Hold that against me if you want. Uh, but there was a, a hospital in Chicago, and it's now almost 20 years ago, but those of us that can remember back to 2000, it doesn't seem that long ago, that a young man was knifed, 15 years old. He was knifed playing with his friends by a up-and-coming gang member who had to do something bad to get in the gang. And his friends carried him to the hospital. And they ran inside because it's all they could do to carry him that far. And he's bleeding in the parking lot some 30 foot from the ER room of Ravenwood Hospital there in Chicago. And they said, come out and help. And they could not, for it violated hospital policy that only healing, only attention could be granted to those who were inside of the building. That little boy died, that 15-year-old boy died waiting for someone. They finally came out, but by that time it was too late. 
And as a church, we must be willing to go outside of the doors of the sanctuary. More than 30 feet. Go around the world. Here's an old video that I used. I know I've used it in a sermon before. Probably before. Those of you who've been here since I came, do you remember when we used to have a screen? you remember the ones you had in school? And we had a projector here, but I don't think I've ever used it since we've had the massive screens. But here's the thing on vision. Just, just watch this and listen to it. This is an awareness test. How many passes does the team in white make? Count, it'll be a test. The answer is 13. But did you see the moonwalking bear? So I think it's easy to miss something that you're not looking for, and it's equally easy to find fault when that's all you're looking for. The man carrying his bed had to be ecstatic about his healing. And I came with this statement that I'd like to add on to last week, because we talked about the fact last week, if you know this text and know the word that he used, Jesus didn't ask him if he wanted to be healed. He asked him if he wanted to be whole. Do you want to be well? And many times that change of heart to where you understand who Jesus is, your physical malady may still be there. But I think it's this, this is my little phrase. What you carry may not be a burden if you have something to rejoice about. What you carry may not be a burden if you have something to rejoice about. If you allow the love and forgiveness of Jesus into your heart, it should always radiate outward. So, colorblind with tunnel vision? I hope not. How about this? Always shining through. Always shining through. Jesus slips away in the crowd and catches up to the man in the temple. Look at that. I think that's like about verse 14. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, You are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Now, the temple seems like a good place to go. If you've been healed from something you've had for 38 years, thank you, Lord. Let me go to church and tell him thank you in person. But Jesus says in that verse 14, stop sinning. Hmm. Wow. Well, that's a hard for anybody here. What do you mean, Jesus? Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. What does that mean? That all sickness and illness is a result of sin? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Unless you want to play the card that we are all sinners and come short of the glory of God. And original sin has touched us all. So yeah, okay. In that, in that essence, yes. If you're sick, well, we're all sinners. But I would submit to you that children who are diagnosed with a terminal illness did not do anything to contract that illness, whatever it might be. And many adults get illnesses that 
have nothing to do with their behavior, with their lifestyle, or anything. It's just that they contract that particular disease. But on the other hand, we can agree that certain human behaviors can lead to illness. In my lifetime, a pack of cigarettes went to, it didn't used to say something like, you know, it may be hazardous, and now it says something like, I haven't bought a pack of cigarettes either in a long time, but I think it says something about cancer on the side these days. And those of you who know that people that have had trouble with alcoholism, it can have a problem with your liver. Those of you who know others, this could be really funny. Those of you who know others who are very promiscuous could know that that could result in sexual diseases. So there are some behaviors that can cause illness. So what is Jesus talking about here? He's healed this man, and he's healed others in the past, so this is not unusual to say, go and sin no more. The woman who was caught in the midst of adultery, and he protects her from being stoned to death, and he says, go and sin no more. So, here he has a man in the temple And he gives them not only the go and sin no more, but kind of gives him, to me, a stern warning. Stop it, or something worse will happen to you. Hmm. So I I struggled with this during the week. How can I, because I think and I understand better with illustrations, and I thought, well, maybe that's the way the congregation can think and understand better with an illustration. So this is strictly extra biblical. This is eisegesis. I see this. So please don't quote this. Please don't say, well, Cliff said it's in the Bible. No, I'm just trying to think, what could this man have done that Jesus knows more about him? Of course, Jesus knows us all through and through. But could it be, and and here you go, in my pretend mind, and once again, don't, don't say this is the way it is. It's just the way I had to understand it. What if this man, some 38 years ago, had been one of these money changers at the temple. And his unscrupulous business practices, he sold, I always pick on Judd, he sold Judd two doves that day for the price of five. And then later on, Steve comes in, he sells Steve a goat for the price of a pig, which is, of course, nothing. You know, I, I, so Judd and Steve get together, and they find this guy, And they beat him to an inch of his life. And from that day forward, he could not walk. Now he's been healed. What's the first thing he does? He goes back to the temple where he had his old business, and he gets ready to set up shop like he had before. Now, granted, this is all strictly speculation, but it's just my way of saying to us that just like sin, we often get the forgiveness, we get absolved, we get this right relationship with God, and we rush right back to the mud. He told this man, stop and sin no more or something worse is going to happen to you. Well, the worst thing that could possibly happen to anybody is to go to hell and have total separation from the Father. So I think he is trying to get this man's attention that you've been healed, but there's more to do in the process. So... Perhaps this man's true colors were starting to shine through. 
And from this man's healing, Jesus makes the statement that he is doing God's work. And in this statement and in the action, the man comes to the Jews and quickly throws Jesus under the bus and says, well, Jesus is the one who did it. Now, Dan was in my office right before I came out, and I said, you know, another spin on this was Jesus truly got through to him, and rather than singing, he threw Jesus under the bus, he proclaimed who saved him, who changed him. And how can I be silent? Because God's going to take care of it anyway. And so many times we are silent, and we don't say what Jesus has done for us. Well, Jesus can take care of it for us. So, the true colors of this man, the true colors of the Jews, are being cast down upon those who are hearing and seeing that day. The Jews didn't care that Jesus could do miraculous things. They, they wanted people who would uphold their laws and see faith, the Father, and the world the way they saw it. And if you didn't, they were willing to kill Jesus. And I think that's the biggest thing we can see in this fact, that God allows his son to do, or being fully God, the son has come to do the things that the father wants him to do. And we'll, we will expand on that next week when we look at the following ver the verses 19 and following. But the Jews were so tunnel visioned, so colorblind, they couldn't see that God might reveal himself in the Savior of the world, other than the way they expected the Savior to come. So, I, I want to close out with this illustration. I, about nine days ago, I went to um, Arlington Cemetery to participate in my mentor in the chaplaincy's funeral. First time I, you know, I've done a gazillion uh, funerals at uh, different uh, military uh, veterans uh, cemeteries across the United States but I've never uh, participated in one in Arlington. And while I was there, he was uh, my mentor. He was the mentor to probably uh, hundreds, if not thousands, uh, that had in the chaplaincy, outside of the chaplaincy. And as I stood back later that day, as people were in a celebration of life, people were telling what he meant to them, I thought each one of us are, are kind of like uh, pieces of stained glass that that this man had impacted and, and brought us together. And that man's light was shining through us that day and, and reflecting on something uh, because each one of us were very different. And, and the more I thought on that, how we too are like pieces of stained glass. And I have a slide here with you with a little quote that would go with it, I think, that we are like stained glass windows. And we sparkle and we shine when the sun is out. But in the darkness... The beauty is only seen if there is a light within. Now, how you let Christ illuminate through you, you do have some control in that. Because if you turn your back from him, it's like, you know, this little light of mine, I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to let it shine. And how many times we've covered it up with the bushel. How many times we've tried to extinguish it by our actions. But what beautiful things we can do in the world when we let Christ shine through us. So today, I would ask you to let your light shine through the radiance of Christ that's in you, that we might be his servants, his hands and feet 
in this world in which we live. Would you stand with me, please, we pray. Lord, I know we have uh, just briefly looked at this passage, and I've speculated on some things that perhaps uh, I'm way off, but I am very confident that you sent your son for us, and that through faith in him, we can have everlasting life. And he is faithful, as you are, to forgive us when we confess our sins before you. And your Holy Spirit will empower us for this life of service, allowing Christ to radiate through us in all that we do. So today, Lord, I pray that your true colors would shine down on us today. And let your people respond to this time of invitation. If there's someone who just wants to come to these steps and pray, we'll have others to come and pray with them. If there's someone here who, who needs to come and confess a sin and say, Lord, forgive me. I want to be right with you. Or perhaps someone's never come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. This is the moment to do that. For all we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.